Welcome to the Good Reading Magazine podcast. Good Reading is a monthly magazine dedicated to books and reading and aims to help readers discover their next favourite book. You can find out more about the books discussed on today's podcast at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. I lost everything last July, all in the span of one week. Back then, I lay on a hospital bed, silent tears stinging the cuts on my face, my left thigh aching from the fall, and my bruised ribs protesting painfully every time I breathed. My hands were wrapped in such heavy gauze, they looked like mittens. Shrapnel had dug holes into my hands. The blood burst like a fountain, but all of that was manageable. The only serious injury was at the back of my head. The force of the explosion had me flying back and concrete met the base of my skull, marking me for life. Dr. Ziad stitched me up. It was the first time I met him. He told me I was lucky to escape with only a scar. I think he was trying to take my mind off the fact that Mama hadn't been as lucky, that the bomb snatched her away from me and I'd never be able to hug her again. Hello and welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Zulfa Katu is a writer with Syrian roots who now lives in Switzerland. Zulfa is the first Syrian author to be published in both the US and the UK in the young adult category. Today, I'm talking to Zulfa about her debut novel for young adults, As Long As the Lemon Trees Grow. Zulfa, welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Zulfa, before we talk about the story in As Long As the Lemon Trees Grow, tell me your story. I am Syrian, but I was born in Canada. Both of my parents are Syrian, but they've been immigrants since the 80s. And so my mom finished high school and university in, in Canada, and my father uh, moved to Switzerland, and then they met in Canada. And so, and then they got married, and I was born. I've never really lived in Syria. I've only known Syria through summers. So f- like when I was a child up until 2010, right before the revolution started, I used to go to, to Syria in the summer. Um, so I do have memories. I've been to Homs. That's where the story takes place. And I often think about the people that I saw there. I, I was like 15 years old when I was there. And so I've always, that, that connection with Syria was always distant and through the stories of my parents and my grandparents, but it became so much more and bigger after the revolution started that I realized that I have had a whole life taken away from me. I mean, we were immigrants for many different reasons, but like, I don't have a home to go back to in Syria because of a dictatorship. And so I wanted to do something for my country because there are people there who are risking their lives, protesting for freedom, and I am living safely outside. So the least that I can do is tell their stories. And that's how the idea for Lemon Trees came to my mind. Your book begins with an epigraph that quotes a line from the work of Syrian poet Nizar Habani, every lemon will bring forth a child and the lemons will never die out. Tell me about Nizar Habani and what this epigraph means to you. So Nizar Habani is a very famous poet and writer in Syria, and he's not only famous in Syria, he's famous in throughout the Arab world. Um, his poems talk about love, feminism, freedom. His actually his parent, his I think it was his father who was a very prominent figure against the French occupation in Syria. So this man, he was he he grew up learning about freedom and revolutions. That is seen in his poetry. Damascus in Syria was a very big inspiration for him in his poems. 
his poetry in Arabic is so beautiful. One of the poems has that line. In Arabic, it's, كُلُّ لَيْمُونَةٍ سَتُنْجِبُ طِفْلًا وَمُحَالٌ إِنْ يَنْتَهِيَ الْلَيْمُونُ Which translates to, every lemon shall bring forth a child, and the lemons will never die out. So the lemons are kind of like a symbol of resistance, that these lemons have been here for centuries. They will continue to be here, despite how much blood is spilled. They're a symbol of hope. And so I wanted to do an homage to that verse. And I took that and I made as long as the lemon trees grow, like a symbol of hope for the book. Why did you choose Homs as the setting for your story? When the revolution started in 2011, it actually started from a city called Bera, and that's where 14 boys were arrested and tortured because they spray painted on the wall, it's your turn, doctor, doctor referring to Bashar al-Assad. And then there was like a small protest, but the city that really took the mantle and led all the protests was Homs, and it became known as the cradle of the revolution. That's where the Syrian revolution was birthed. Uh, all our revolutionaries are from there, most of them, obviously, and our singers that are all from Homs. And so um, I wanted to write about the place that had that, like that's where it started. The protest, it was Homs that was always the one that people looked up to and um, where sadly a lot of the bombings have been happening were in Homs. And the, the saddest thing is, is that Homs is two hours away from Damascus. Sometimes the people in Damascus could hear the bombs falling. Like it's, 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 it's a very small country. So you could, it's, I'm sorry, I'm getting a bit emotional thinking about it. Um, so I wanted to talk about this place that has so much history in it, civilizations that were built there. We have Roman architecture there. And there's, there's so much that going on that a lot of people don't know. And so I wanted to make Homs the place where, um, just show where Homs is. And so people know that this was where the revolution started. And your story is told through the voice of Salama. Who was the inspiration for this character, Salama? Salama was inspired by the people who risked their lives to help people. Um, she was inspired by the White Helmets, who are a who are in Syria, and they are, are a volunteer organization that are made up not only from firefighters and paramedics, but also teachers. Uh, professors, uh, bakers, like just ordinary people who have come together to save people when the bombings start falling. Um, and they actually, I think they they were nominated for like an Oscar for their movie, for the documentary. And so I wanted to show the world how selfless these people are. They have their own families, they have their own children, but they're giving up their lives for other people. And she was also inspired by this um, Palestinian paramedic, her name is Rosan, Rosan Najjar, who sadly was killed by the IDF when she was performing her job, saving um, lives during a protest. And so these are all names that are known in the Arab world, but the West doesn't really know about them. And so I want to honor these people and their lives so we know their stories through, hopefully, lemon trees. Salama is on a promise to take care of her sister-in-law, Layla. How did that promise come about? It came about when I wanted to show the difference in people's mentalities in Syria. There are people who want to leave and people who don't want to leave and both give very valid reasons and both are valid for their own opinions. Um, and so Salama's brother, Hamza, her older brother, makes her promise that she takes Layla out because he can't in good conscience participate in the protests if he knows that his wife is in danger. And so he makes her promise that if anything happens to him and their dad, that Salama would be the person who would take Layla out and also their mom 
you know, but she passed away. Um, and so Salama struggles with that, that her duty to her patients and her duty to the promise that she made to her brother. And so it's like this, this, this fight that goes inside of her, this internal fight of what do I choose? Um, and so it creates for some very um, intense moments in the book where she doesn't know what she should do as a teenager, because she has that, she's just, the thing is that I want people also to remember is that Salama is 18 years old. Like, these are big decisions that a teenager is supposed to uh, make. And so is it fair that he asked her to do that? I don't know. But it just shows that in these intense moments of time and in war and in revolution, you are put in positions that you wouldn't think that you would be in or make decisions that you didn't think you would do, bigger decisions than you can, even, than you can bear. As long as lemon trees grow is also about dreams. And I know that Salama has dreams, but she also has nightmares. But Layla has dreams of being an artist. I want to paint every shade of blue and especially the blue of Norway, she says. Are dreams possible in Syria? I think they are. The, Syria has produced so many artists and so many and this is this all happened also within the dictatorship so you can just imagine if people actually had the freedom what they would produce they produce amazing books art um inventions like it's 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 a it's a we are people that have so much to give and so these dreams even if whatever is happening right now is trying to smother it it will never be smothered these people will find a way to protest with their dreams, with their lives. So yes, it is. there are dreams in Syria and they will never die. I think later in the book, you refer to both Salama and Layla as hijabi girls. I don't know who coined that term, but it's been here for a very long time. So it's basically a girl who wears the hijab. So, um, you know, they're like Muslim girls who wear the hijab and Muslim girls who don't. And you don't see a lot of hijabi girls in books. And that is something I'm very proud of that I'm able to write someone who represents me and millions and millions of other Muslim girls out there. Let's talk about the two, well, two of the male characters, Hamza and Kanan. Uh, in a way, these are the counterparts to Salama and Layla. They're both very proud Syrians and prepared to risk everything for freedom. They're both individuals, of course, but are they in some way representative of the men of Syria? They are. They were inspired by the men who were risking their lives to go out and protest. But there was a lot of people who were recording what was going on, and that in itself is a very big crime. So Kinan represents these people who have done that, who are still doing that. Um, and Hamza would represent the people that had this big future in front of them. I mean, he was a doctor. He could have, you know, taken Leila and gone anywhere else, you know, but they, they, he could have built a life elsewhere, but he didn't want to leave. And that's a lot of men men there in, in Syria who um, just put that future aside and gave all to their country. And that's what they both represent. Later that day, when Khauf appeared and told me his name, it took a bit for me to realize I was the only one seeing him. At first, I thought the drugs were giving me visions, that he would disappear when the morphine did. But he stayed by my side, whispering horrible things while I cried for mama. Even when the pain subsided and my ribs healed and my hands scarred, he didn't leave. And once that conviction settled in, 
panic followed soon after. He was a hallucination who had come to stay, one who every night for the past seven months has cruelly plucked on my fears, breathing life into them. Salama begins to speak of Hulf. He was a hallucination who had come to stay, says Salama. So in our religion, uh, we believe that everything has life. The trees, the river, the ocean, everything in this world is breathing life. And that also extends to abstract emotions and abstract thoughts. And I thought about why not give an abstract emotion or an abstract thought life as well because in the book, because I we believe that. And so I wanted to show that in a way that did Salama break the fourth wall or is it really a hallucination in her mind? This is all up to the reader and how they perceive what's going on. So that's all I'm going to say, because then it could be a spoiler. <laughs> Here's Salama talking about Hulf. The horror I see isn't just confined to the hospital. My terror has mutated in my mind, bestowed with a life and a voice that never fails to show up each night. Now, this is how war and oppression can affect people psychologically. Why did you want to bring out this aspect to young readers? When I finished writing Lemon Trees, and I sent it out to readers, a lot of people were asking me to make it into an adult because of all the graphic scenes with Hove and also with the PTSD and what's happening in the in the in homes at the hospital. And I didn't want to do that because I really wanted it to be YA. I wanted my main target of audience to be teens, but thankfully it's also everyone. This is a book for everyone from all ages. And I wanted to show that the horrors are there. And I think even teens that who haven't lived through what Salama have lived through can relate to her because they're they're within the same age. And so they can feel for her. They can understand what is going on. And if some of them are struggling with their own mental health, they can feel seen through Salama and what she is going through with her own. And so I wanted to just take away from that stigma that we have with mental health and show it in a way that is raw, hopefully that I did that, in a way that is raw and true, and not romanticizing it at all, that this is a problem and people need help. And so I wanted to teach um, teens everywhere about empathy through lemon trees. Everyone, and especially Hulf, is encouraging Salama to leave Syria. Why can't Salama leave and begin a new life in complete safety? Because in a way, Salama knows that if she leaves, it is not safety. It is a part of a safety, but it's not true safety. I mean, right now we hear about refugees being sent back to Syria. This is happening right now. And so when you reach land, um, you're not being bombed anymore, but you are at risk for other things. Um, and it's difficult to leave your home. This is a place where Everyone, everyone you know is there. Your family is buried there. And so it is a very difficult decision to up and leave and throw yourself into the unknown. Maybe you reach land, maybe you don't, because that is also the risk. Maybe she reaches it, maybe she doesn't. And so is it better to die in your country or try to find safety somewhere else that probably will not even be safe? Um, so it is it is a very difficult decision. And obviously, of course, money comes into the uh, equation as well, where the people who transport the refugees on boats ask for incredible amounts of money that a lot of people cannot afford. And so for some people who do want to leave, they can't leave because they don't have the money. 
And so I wanted to show that this is a very, it's not like, oh, we woke up one morning, oh, let's go to Germany and we don't want to live here anymore. That's not how this works. As the lemon trees grow is a book set in the time of war, but it's very much about home and family and about the thing that binds these parts together. That's love, love in the midst of war. Do you still think that love can thrive under the conditions of war? I do think so. I think life will always be there, just as the lemons that will grow from now till forever. Love will always persist. I think in times when things are hard and you're everything, everything is trying to strip away your humanity, you cling to life. And life equals love. And so I wanted to write that love story as a sort of a, a symbol of hope also in the book that, yes, it can get better. It does not take away from what is really going on. It's just for them as a distraction. Both Kinan and Sarama have lost so much, have lost their families, but they can find new hope in each other and new life in each other as well. Sulfa, it's such a beautiful book and such a fabulous debut. Thank you for joining me on the Good Reading Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. This has been a blast. I've been talking to Zulfa Katu about her book, As Long As the Lemon Trees Grow. It's published by Bloomsbury, and you can find it at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. My name's Greg Dobbs, and thanks for listening. Subscribe to Good Reading Print and Online Magazine at goodreadingmagazine.com.au.